This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. and guests, if you're a visitor here with us, it really is a privilege to be together and uh, it's my privilege to continue our series through the Psalms, which is our summer series. They're all on the website if you'd like to catch up and Psalms are just such a lovely, heart-filled, real-life experience, pastoral gem to us. It helps us lean into God with joy and faith and to know more about Him while He does us good. So this morning, hopefully, we trust will be no different. God will do us good as we encounter Him in His Word and by His Spirit. Yeah? Allow me to start by telling you a story. Um, there's an open water swim uh, that's called the Robin Island Swim that I was training for. That is not me. <laughs> Just in case, it's part of the story, okay? Um, that is not me. I was training for for this Robben Island swim, and it's from Robben Island where Mr. Mandela, the ex-president, was uh, kept incarcerated to a place called Bloberg, Blobergstrand, let me use it in its right uh, pronunciation, Strand. okay, if I anglicize it. And it's about a six-mile swim, and I was, we were living out at a place called Langebahn on this beautiful lagoon, and I was using our lagoon as a bit of a training environment for this open water swim, because before we moved from Langebahn to Johannesburg, I wanted to get it in. It's a big deal. So, the one day I was swimming out on the lagoon, as I often did, in my same sort of training route, and I'm in a wetsuit because it's cold, but it's beautiful. It's normally blue waters, blue skies, gorgeous. But this day, the tide was high, and it was a bit choppy. And, and on my normal training route, it just got dark underneath me for the first time. Normally, it's light, and you can see the sand and little fishies. It just got dark. And something terrible and frightening took hold of me. My chest just kind of closed up, and I, I had this complete panic attack. And I'd never experienced that before. And I discovered I, I have a phobia for deep open water. And I thought, well, how on earth are you going to do an open water swim with a phobia of open waters? Um, and I had no idea it was there until that moment when it kind of took hold of me. And I had to get out of the water. I was genuinely like, shocked by it. And, and I was also shocked by just how powerful... That emotion was, that emotion of fear, no matter how irrational it might be. I mean, I know, yeah, there's always sharks in Longaban Lagoon, there's always little fishies, but why? Why now? Ugh, horrible. And I, I ended up acting contrary, I mean, completely opposite to my whole plan that I'd put in place. And I, I ended up not doing the swim, not only because of the fear of open water, there were all sorts of other complications. But I, I ended up acting completely contrary to my nature, to my normal practice of life, because of this weird fear that had kind of cropped up in my life. And, and I wonder if you've experienced 
that sort of fear before, things that then, no, I'm not going to do that, whoa, maybe that's you. Fear is a funny thing. It really does make us react completely opposite to the way we know we should act, or at least it, it forces us to act as a poorer version of our usual selves. And so this morning, I wanted to, uh, to take one of my favorite psalms, which is Psalm 121, and it's comforted me over the years. Uh, even before I was a Christian, I used to stand and stare up at the mountains and recite, uh, I lift up my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? Like for some reason, I knew the words to that psalm without ever having been a Christian that actively read the scriptures. And it would be such a privilege for us and for me to this morning uh, open up Psalm 21 and, and allow God through His Word to encourage us, to challenge us, and to help us move forward in our commitment to kind of fully go for it in God. Everything that He's called us to be fully committed to Him and to one another and to His glory. So is that good? Shall we do that? Excellent. Let's open up our Bible, Psalm 121. If you haven't got your Bible, it will be behind me as well. And we read from verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The Psalm 121 is part of the Psalms of Ascents. Uh, it's a group of Psalms um, in the, the, the book of Psalms that pilgrims used to recite as they were approaching Jerusalem for various uh, feasts and festivals, various celebrations, and they would recite them as they would go up, hence, hence the ascension, songs of ascent, okay, as they go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, as we know, is on a set of hills, and it was always seen as the high place, the kind of place where you meet with God, and, and it, it, you always, no matter where you come from, you speak about going up to Jerusalem. But considering how most Jews had been dispersed uh, all over the nation and even the nations around them, and they were doing kind of living subsistence uh, existences as farmers and livestock, this psalm, I, I think, had become even more applicable and, and emotive to me during the time of COVID. I, I think I realized living this state of separated disconnected, spread out life had somehow become the norm, and it, it was the norm in the time of the, the scriptures to, that's why they celebrated these times of gatherings, they were so precious to them, and they had songs that they sang as they gathered from their separated lives to their gathered lives, and they were like us, separated from the spiritual family separated from their biological families often, separated from the gatherings of the people of God. And they were separated from the ability to participate actively in corporate 
worship. And I feel just such a preciousness on this concept of going up together, ascending up together, to gather to God together. And that these Psalms are such an important encouragement for us to fight for our communion with God and for our communion with one another. So, as we read in verse 1, I, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? And we hear in this, uh, hopefully, a real sense of longing, a, a sense of a desire for a satisfactory answer. It's an interrogation of the soul, is it not? That hopefully tees up our hearts for a deep work that God wants to do in us. There's also in this question the expectation that we don't just bypass the hills. We don't sidestep them. The hills are there, and we will walk into them. And it's often that it's God who leads us into and through the hills. For us today, the psalm of this psalm, Psalm 121, and this sort of talking about hills, it, it doesn't really smack of fear, does it? It doesn't go, oh... Clearly, this is a psalm about fear, and this is how you apply it. But that's because for us, when we think hills, we think beautiful hikes in Wales, we think skiing, we think beautiful picturesque photos. They're pretty. But in the time of David and the time of Israel, you know, 3,000 years ago, the hills were a place of constant fear and danger. A place of running from those who would take your life, who would rob you. A place where wild animals would beset you. A place where robbers would murder and kill. Armies searching for you. Scorching heat by day and cold at night. Mountains often, even in our language today, you know, they would represent a sense of solitude, of going it alone. And they had good reason to ask this question, because fear lurks around every corner and in every crevice. It's a little bit like the, the Welsh mountains or the Scottish highlands on the maps of old, you know, air be dragons. <laughs> Our modern challenge might not be sunburn. I mean, some of us might quite enjoy a bit of a sunburn or lack of fresh drinking water, or enemy armies chasing us down, or bands of marauders, or even dragons on maps. But we nonetheless have equally important hills that rise up in front of us. Hills that our eyes are drawn to, and they are no less important than in David's time. And they're also no less fear-inspiring than in David's time. The daily fears, the daily anxieties, cultural pressures, peer pressure, if you're a young person, social pressures, work pressures, family pressures, financial pressures, spiritual obligations, still 3,000 years after the psalm was written, there's an encouragement for us to interrogate our souls. 
where does my help come from? And God, in His kindness, offers us the answer. You see, in asking all of us this question, where does my help come from? God would put it to us that we all still live under a shroud of fear in some way that keeps us from living fully, wholeheartedly for God and for one another. Particularly when we find ourselves in seasons of living in the hills. And you've heard it said many times, all people are worshippers, right? Whether you're a believer, consider yourself uh, an atheist at the moment, all people are worshippers. Since the beginning of time, people have worshipped. But what I've found interesting is that people have worshipped the thing that they hope will free them from their greatest fear. Let me say that again. People have worshipped the thing that they hoped will free them from their greatest fear. Baal, Molech, Ashtoreth, they were some of the gods of the, the nations that were surrounding Israel at the town, and all three were gods of fertility and sexuality in some way. Let me ask, what do you think was the underlying fear that the worship of these three gods was trying to address? Please, let's play. Life, death. Okay, it's sexuality and fertility. Infancy, death. Totally, that's why they sacrificed children to these gods. Absolutely. So we're talking about infertility, we're talking about the, the, the death of children, death in general, I suspect, to some degree. Mars, okay, the Greek god of war. What fear do you think they're worshipping there or trying to alleviate there? Defeat, military victory, yep, they're trying to get assurances. What about Hades, Greek god of the underworld? Death, totally. Fear of death. Poseidon, Greek god of the sea. Open water swimming, totally. Open water swimming. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, in scriptures, when it talks about the sea, often it talks about the unknown, fear of the unknown. But so in middle, even up to the Middle Ages, the fear is of the sea is the unknown. But also, it's just this horrible, cold, dark, desperate place where you're alone. So yes, fear of the unknown and dying at sea. So over the centuries as well, harvest festivals have been such a key part of our culture. And, and in Greek times, the god Demeter was the god of the harvest. This is in response, obviously, to the, a very real fear of not having enough food during the year. We had friends in the Netherlands who called their daughter Demetra because they were so happy about the, the, literally, the fertility and the fruitfulness in conceiving their daughter. They weren't believers, but there you go. I chuckled at this quote by a, an Incan, uh, Incan called Atahualpa. Please excuse the pronunciation. He was the last Incan emperor 
maybe there's a bit of a hint in there that he was the last, discussing with the Spanish Christians, he said, you worship a God who died on a tree. We worship the sun that never dies. Now, although Atualpa got it wrong, and as believers, we kind of smirk at his comment, but I think in his response, he's touching on something relevant to us this morning. Why on earth would we choose to follow a God who suffered and died on a tree? And we're going to continue to dig into that as we go. You know, though we, we scoff at the idea of worshipping the sun like Atahualpa, whose sun god obviously was in response to a fear of the darkness in the jungle and darkness at night. You know, we're all proud people. And if you're a, an explorer this morning, maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a believer yet, but you're here this morning, and you can just start seeing some of the relevance of the real-world fears and anxieties that you're living with. You know, what happens when I die? What happens with my life? What's the purpose of life? Why do so many horrible things happen in this world? Why can I... Why do Christians say I can trust God and stake my life on Him? And these are really good questions. And they're good questions when they press us into seeking the truth. And I would encourage seeking the truth in God, the only true God. And I, I want to just add my uh, invite to the Rethink series of events, two or three over the year. It's going to be fantastic when we dig into these things and create space for believers and unbelievers alike to come and explore, hear and grow, and hopefully have some questions answered to help our journey of faith. The reality is that it's, it's not just those who are exploring that struggle with fears and anxieties, is it? I think we as Christians, we know the truth that is found in the gospel. We believe them. We live in the freedoms of many of these truths. And we also find many areas of our lives that are still ruled by fears and anxieties, which is why the gospel, as we always say, is not the ABC of coming to faith or becoming a Christian. It's the A to Z of life, every area of our life. I wonder, have you experienced stress? <laughs> no. We all say sarcastically. Yeah, you might not think you're under stress uh, in the modern world, but even if you don't know it, we often, very often, still are. As a family, we'd moved from South Africa to the Netherlands. A year and a half in, we discovered we have to leave at the end of that year. And I thought, hey, I'm dealing with this quite well. No problems. I don't have any heart palpitations or anything like that. I'm not throwing the toys out the cot with my family all the time. And um, arrived in the Netherlands, great time with Howard and Naomi, it's just lovely. I go for my first haircut and I discover under this big mop of hair, I have three big bald patches where alopecia had caused me to go bald from stress. I thought, oh, well, that's not, that's not me. Clearly it is. Stress is the physical, the 
psychological response to the constant management of fear. And there are so many fear, stress-inducing fears in so many places in our lives today. It's also here, in these places where we find that we, we make idols, you know, things that we worship, things that we pursue, even out of good things that we hope will help manage our fears. And we do these things deep, subtly, psychologically. Are you competitive? Good. That's good. Are you overly competitive or under-competitive? Maybe you're afraid of competition. There's a good chance you have a fear of not coming first and your overly developed sense of pride being hurt. Are you a controlling person? Control is trying to live life in a way that avoids fears. And we've all experienced over-controlling family members, or bosses, or even pastors. And it's often easy to spot the fears that people are trying to control away. Connected to this one is probably the over-controlling parent. None of us know about that, though, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, what are overly co controlling parents afraid of? Let's play. What are overly controlling parents afraid of? Losing their kids? Yeah. Safety? Their children figuring out they don't know it all. Exactly. Yeah, you know, where... Um, Kids reflecting poorly on their parents is another one. So we try to control our kids so they don't reflect badly on us. Maybe that's just me. Do you overwork? You know, society has defined success as being significant. And to be successful is to throw ourselves at our careers until we make enough money or reach high enough to scratch the itch of whatever success is. And the fear of not leaving something behind that somehow identifies us as successful can cause us to be overly driven, ruthless in our decision-making, and overworked. A huge problem of our generation is escapism. You know, when you think social media, it's trying to avoid fears by escaping from needing to deal with them. Let's escape to Amazon Prime or to Instagram or to alcohol rather than deal with our problems and our fears. Maybe you're a people pleaser, constantly controlled by others' thoughts about you, often a fear of not fitting in, a fear of not being loved unconditionally. Maybe you have outbursts of anger. Anger is often the response to the threat 
of fears actually materializing. I'm scared this is really going to happen, and we act out. So these are just a couple of quick examples, but they just show us how in our world, in our culture, how the media, how we ourselves just perpetuate and normalize certain fears as part of everyday life. And we don't even bat an eyelid about them. So in a world saturated by fears, what I hope we recognize at this point, believer and explorer alike this morning, is that we need an antidote to the fear. We need an antidote to the anxieties. And if you're someone exploring faith this morning, you might be tempted, because that's what the world tells us, is that you must just continue to look inward more. Focus more on yourself. Do some more introspection, right? Or the world will say, no, focus out on others. Throw all your attention on climate change or on pride or on something else. Neither of those we've seen are able to help. All of our efforts will just seem to continue to add more fears for us to manage. So the question remains, where does our help come from? Our help comes from the maker, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And this is the, the answer to the question that hopefully resounds at this point already. If you're a believer in our hearts, you're crying out, Apple, get to the point. Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. We know that the only real lasting antidote to the created problems of this world are never going to be found inside the creation. They need to be found outside of it, with the creator, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Anyone and anything that is part and parcel of creation, it can be good, it can be enjoyable, it's beneficial, but it can never truly satisfy like the creator of the universe can. The antidote to fear is only found in Jesus, who's the author and the sustainer of the universe and of us. And the reason we worship Jesus is that he put skin in the game. Atahualpa, ironically, had it right when he said that we worship a God who died on a tree. Yeah, that's why we worship him. Although he is the creator, he didn't just make the hills or talk about the hills and the legitimate fears that are in them. He walked into them. He brought light and life and his presence and his goodness into them forever. You know, if you think of the hill that probably scares us most, it's Everest. I think Everest is the pale reflection of this ultimate fear that we all live with, which is the fear of death. And Jesus even conquered Everest by being raised from the grave. So when Jesus, the maker of the heavens and the earth, was so stressed and racked with fear in the Garden of Gethsemane that he sweat blood 
The Bible says that he had us in mind as he was sweating for the joy set before him. When Jesus bled for his supposed shame and sin, but being sinless and shameless, he was able to bleed and die for the sin and shame of us all. When Jesus rose from the grave, having pleased God the Father, conquered death, he rose as a role model for us all. And we rose in him to eternal life. Jesus has walked every hill, great and small, and knew the presence and the goodness of God the Father by the power of the Spirit in those hills. You see, John the Baptist and the Gospel writer Luke both saw in Jesus the one who would be fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah 600 years earlier when they recognized and they said this, Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This was the work that Jesus came to do. Jesus knew firsthand how the love of God the Father and and faith, which is the firm knowledge of the goodness and the love of God are the opposites, the antidotes to living in fear and anxiety in the hills of life. This is what part of what Jesus came to offer His disciples, His followers, among whom we are privileged to be. When He calls us with His invitation, come, follow me. Come and follow Him into the lowlands, Where life is easy, yes, but also into the hills when life is hard. But know that wherever we find ourselves, wherever we follow Him, wherever He leads us, He is there because He has gone before us. There's something beautiful that happens next in our Song of Ascents. There's a a clear shift in the language use between verse 1 and 2 and verses 3 to 8, and many commentators say that there's a change from the psalmist kind of inquiring in the first person. You know, he's saying, I lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And in verse 3 to 8, it becomes kind of this third person speaker almost answering the question. And the commentators think it's almost as if God Himself responds to the deep longing and the interrogation of the soul and cries out, gives the psalmist the sense of fresh faith and certainty which allows him to say, it is He. It is He. He will not let your foot be moved. He will not slumber nor sleep. He will do it. And there's one truth particularly that the author seems to want us to grasp as we read through the psalm. And I wonder if it stuck out to you as well as we were reading it through. God is our keeper. In verse 3 we read, 
He directs the paths of our life and that He is the one who keeps us on it. Verse 4, He's the giver, the sustainer, the keeper of His people in their faith. He calls them um, Israel. He will not let Israel slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord promises to be our pleasant place in seasons of day or night. Verse 7, He keeps us and sustains us in our salvation, in our eternal security. Nothing can take us out of His hand. He keeps us from sin and the evils within it. He holds us by His presence. Verse 8, whatever we do, wherever we go, the Lord promises to be there and to sustain us. Fear, anxiety, and pressures are inescapable when we feel like we are the keepers of our own lives and our own souls. When we feel we need to find a way But seven times in these six verses, we are reminded that it is He who is the keeper of every aspect of our life. Growth in the Christian life, and I'm sure if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you'll know this. Growth doesn't happen by just knowing these truths alone, does it? You know, when Lorette and I got married 17 years ago, I... I know what she meant by, yeah, I love you. I get it. I got it. You know, it was nice and sweet, and it was a nice moment. But 17 years on, and 17 years worth of hills on, I now know way more what it means when she says, I love you. And growth in the Christian life happens as we increasingly, day by day, and hill by hill, and fear by fear, and anxiety by anxiety, learn to trust God with every area of our life. And maturity happens as we follow Jesus into everything new and sometimes maybe scary. But we trust Him a little bit more than we did yesterday. And He shows Himself again to be faithful and loving and good and kind, and that He truly is our God and our Keeper, now and forevermore. And knowing this truth doesn't remove us from the sting of living in this world. You've probably experienced that. But it does allow us to experience God's closeness and His peace through the toughest periods of life, in the toughest of hills, highest of hills, and to know that He is your keeper. In Hebrews 11, we we read about some joyous, glorious highs of the people who knew God as their keeper, those who'd been utterly transformed by the knowledge of His goodness and His love and His kindness towards them, Those who had learned that Jesus' blood shed for them and their fears and their sins and their shame. And they've been set free. 
so free that they're able to live and die for Him. Those, let's read, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Man, we love this. Women even received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured. That doesn't sound right. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Well, is that what we sign up for? That's what God does in us. That's what God does in people who know that He is our keeper. The world was not worthy of such as these because in life and in death, they knew the freedom and the peace of God as their keeper. I so long to live a life that is that free and that peaceful every single day of my life. I long for that for all of us. I learned something about God, something very precious uh, in my time in the Air Force. I, I once ended up right underneath a massive thundercloud. And um, it, was dan- it was dangerous enough that I briefed the guy sitting next to me, Godfrey. Uh, I said, Godfrey, if, if this starts raining, we're going to turn this heading, fly in. We were very close to where we needed to get. So we came up with an emergency plan, but I could still see our airport. Lo and behold, this thundercloud opens up and it absolutely torrents down. It's called a microburst, for those who are interested, as part of what happened. I got caught in this massive rain, massive downpour of wind. The aircraft, it was close. We almost crashed. We almost didn't make it. And we, we landed eventually uh, at, the, at the airfield. The air traffic controller says, I'm so pleased to see you. We thought we'd lost you. The weather radar just went black over the top of us. And I turned off the airplane... And uh, my phone rings. And, I, hello? It's my mother. She says, are you guys okay? I just thought I had to pray for you and your safety. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, mom. <laughs> Put the phone down. Godfrey's phone rings. Hello, Granny. Godfrey, are you guys okay? I just felt I had to pray for you and your safety. Yeah, we're okay. God cares. God is the keeper of our souls. And moments like those over over my 20 odd years of following Jesus are training me to trust, to follow, to know that He's with us, with me, even in the hills of life. The one who was outside of creation, who sustains creation by the power of His Word, is the one who comes close to us. 
the one who's died on a tree. He came that close. He cares that much. Jesus was born into the hills, literally, you know, Bethlehem, a real outward, backward place. Not the easiest of places to want to grow up in and make a significant difference in the world. He was tempted out in the hills in every way like us, but he remained faithful by the power, the sustaining power of God the Father. He was crucified on a hill, shamed and died outside on a hill. He ascended into glory on a hill, almost as if to demonstrate that he is ultimately sovereign and has ultimate victory over all hills. What a privilege then that we can, along with the uh, psalmist, we can declare with the Apostle Paul as well, where he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will God, will, will keep, will sustain our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. My prayer for us, God first, is that we would increasingly know God as our keeper. And that this deep conviction, this deep knowledge that goes beyond just a head, but a heart knowledge will drive a lifestyle of increasingly following Him into everything. The highs of the hills, the easy valleys, that He will help us, that He's with us, sustaining us through every anxiety and fear. We can cast it before Him. You know, when we feel the excitement of a building project, oh Lord, there's fears and anxieties. Help us, oh God. You're with us. When we feel the anxieties of what the news and the media are telling us, oh God, help me. Your truth is so much greater. I hold on to that. I believe you. May every new endeavor for you, God, first, in life and in work and in family and at school, with your friends, and certainly in our ministry lives, be such a joy. May it be according to God's will, in His power and for His glory, because we know Him as our keeper. God first, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.